This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. On this episode of the podcast, we had Brenton Ford from Effortless Swimming come back on. He's been on before and he was such a popular guest, we had to have him on again. We work closely with Brenton. We send all our athletes to him because we love his swimming, coaching, advice and analysis. And this episode was no different. It was jam-packed with tips and golden nuggets on how you can improve your swimming. And we dived right into the Olympics, of course, because just like us, Brenton could not get enough of the swimming. He was glued to the TV for every event exactly like us. So we looked at the best and worst parts of the Olympic swimmers, what triathletes can learn from them and what you can learn in terms of how to improve your stroke from the top swimmers in the world. We also dived into a whole other range of topics like form goggles, pacing, breathing rate, stroke rate, uh, how to position your fingers in the water, uh, little tips and tricks that you can use to improve your swimming. So we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, We always like talking to Brenton and we we are sure you will enjoy listening as well. For now, let's get into it. All right, Brenton Ford, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you on again. Thanks for having me back. We are, we'll dive straight into it because we're dead in the middle of the Olympics. The swimming is now finished. I'm sure you would have been glued to the TV for every second of the swimming. So start us off with what were your thoughts on the swimming as a whole? What stood out to you? It was great to see the Australian athletes do so well. And I mean, it's really down to a handful of swimmers. I mean, as a team effort, I think it was great, but it really does come down to a, a couple of swimmers that pick up a lot of those medals. Uh, but that said, it, it sounds like it was a great team environment. And I know in the past, I think it was about two, two Olympic cycles ago, um, there were some issues there. There was a whole inquiry and all this sort of stuff. But um, it sounds like everyone got on really well and that only um, motivated people to, to do well. So that was, that was great to see. And just some of the swimming was, was incredible. And there was three world records broken over the, the course of the, um, the week. But it, it's really about racing because they were doing the finals at night. Oh, sorry, the heats at night, the finals in the morning. And typically, you know, the, they do swim a little bit slower in the morning um, for whatever reason. I think just the body's a little bit more prepared and, and to go fast uh, later in the day. But yeah, some, some really good racing. And some of the things that I noticed there, and you probably saw it in most of the races, was the back end speed was a real key to those that that uh, finished well so there was quite a few swimmers that went out a little too hard in some of the races and uh, they just weren't able to bring it home that last 50 or that last 100 so more times than not we saw that um, those that brought home the gold or the silver were those that could finish the race really well in the last the last 50. A couple of good points I'd like to uh, touch on that you've mentioned um, and and the one that stood out was the finals in the morning and heats in the evening and you know from a coaching point of view, you would have wanted your athletes to practice that for the last four years, knowing that that's the schedule. Um, is that something that you think would have been important in preparation? Yeah, I've got no doubt that the, the, the athletes would have been prepared for that. They would have done their harder, faster sets at a, probably a similar time to what they'd be racing uh, for the finals there. Um, so they certainly prepared with that. And I think even maybe it was a year ago, I think they – they might've had the uh, Australian champs where they did it that way, where they sort of swapped it around. So it's um, cause it is a sort of different thing. And I think even mentally for them, you know, it's not like you, um, if, if you make a final at, at night, uh, sorry, yeah, if you qualify for a final after the heats at night, you've got to go home and try and sleep and, you know, prepare yourself for that final the next morning where it's not often the case. So I think just in terms of athlete 
preparation and um, being prepared for that would have been a big uh, a, a big uh, focus for for the coaches and the athletes there. But I mean, they've done that. I think they did it last Olympics as well because they wanted to make sure that the the US got the the finals at their night so they could watch it. Um, so it's something that they've been used to for a little while now. Another point you touched on there was uh, pacing and the back end speed was key to the winners. We're big advocates of pacing on this podcast. We talk about it uh, incessantly in that uh, even at the top level, people still get pacing wrong and they go out too hard and can't finish strong. And obviously it's great for the the gold medal winners or the top three who can come home strong and get that back end speed. But we just noticed that you know swimmers who are coming fourth to eighth, for example, um, are going out with the winners and then dropping off. And the difference in splits can be, you know, three, four, five, maybe more seconds per hundred. And obviously we can't discount the dive uh, at the start of the race that, you know, for a hundred or 200, the dive will add speed to that first split, that first 50 meter split. But what are your thoughts on pacing? And we, we really believe that athletes, if you don't have the same ability, should be going out slower and not trying to match them in that first 50 or hundred. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. And obviously each, people are individuals so everyone's different with it but we really saw it in so many races where it was that last 50 that that made the difference there uh i think it was the 200 200 freestyle there was a south korean kid who's 18 years of age i think he led the, he led the first 100 he was right up there in the third 50 and then he came home and he just got swamped by them i mean he's a, he's a younger guy not much experience on the international field uh, but it was was those that could bring home the last fifty that um, that won it. So yeah, I think it's so Im- so important. And the way to really I think do it, it comes down to practice and then just doing it in training. I remember uh, there's a, a swimmer Trent Grimsey. He's got the fastest English Channel crossing time. He's a an ex marathon swimmer from Australia. And I remember seeing some of his sets, and his sets were like big distance sets. But at the end of pretty much every one, it would be something like eight fifties uh, fast on the minute. And the reason for that is for the 10K events that he was mostly doing, it really comes down to the last 1K and being able to sprint, to be be able to sprint home. And like the girls this morning, they had the 10K open water race. And it really just comes down to a sprint at the end because they're all just sticking with each other and so who can finish fastest. So uh, including some of that in the training is really important. And I mean, with the triathlon, it's obviously a bit different with the swim. You don't need to sprint home like that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever race you're training for, you want to prepare for that in training. That's such a good point. As a triathlete, you want to do it the reverse because they all sprint at the start <laughs> and you want to be kind of prepared for that, um, which is what the swimmers yeah. are doing. Uh, they're, they're all taking off uh, flat out at the start. And, and look, it was so obvious to us that, you know, the the graphics that the Channel 7 were putting up were showing us the difference between the first half and second half in those 200s and 400s. It was, mm. it was really good to see. And I, I was telling Jordan that uh, I've froze the video and looked at seventh and eighth finishing and you know they were they were swimming a 102 105 when the winners were swimming 101 104 103 um and you know one of the swimmers swam a 101 107 to get a 208 um you know and, and it's just a horrible way in any sport to finish you know when you're just dying um is is you know what would you be saying to those guys you know and and on that how would you know what you are swimming when you don't see data coming back at you yeah it's that's a good question it's uh i think you do get a really good sense of it when you're training especially for most of the pool swimmers they've got a coach on deck giving them times 
so you can prepare, you, know, you sort of know roughly where you're at with it. Um, and I think some of it actually comes down to how they, how they are feeling on the day as well. I mean, we saw some amazing swims at Olympic trials for the, for some of the Australian athletes. And a lot, a lot of the guys didn't, they weren't able to match their times from trials to the Olympics. And so sometimes it's a matter of that as well. Like it can be feeling good for a competition. You've prepared well, you've tapered well, and you've really hit that taper. And that's often a, a really important part of it. And then just, you know, they had to back it up four or five weeks later, whatever it was. And there's travel involved, there's different food, there's you know, different beds, all that sort of stuff. And so it, um, it, it can be hard to, to be able to um, get to that event and be able to just bring it home. Even if they have got that fitness and they've trained for it, sometimes you just kind of miss your taper. So I think that can be an element of it as well. Uh, and we saw that particularly with the, the freestyle um, middle distance swimmers. Um, you know, Jack McLaughlin, we saw it um, with, and then, um, him, names escaped me, uh, the two and the 400 uh, swimmer. So he, uh, he just did not, um, did not perform well there. So something would have probably gone wrong with his, his taper or might've been a little bit sick or something. So some of that certainly comes into it, but uh, yeah, I think it just comes down to practicing that in, in training. We, uh, we love the fact that you have feel, whether you're a, a swimmer, a, a rider or, or a runner, um, you, you get a feel and a sense of um, it feels comfortable at the start. But as a runner, you can always check your watch and and know that the pace you're running is three-minute K pace. As a rider, you can look down and see the power. Um, as a swimmer, you're totally going by feel. And if you're tapered well, you could actually be swimming too fast uh, and still die at the end. So I know you're used to swimming lap after lap and, and getting an understanding of what the feel is compared to the time. How, how are they working this out? This is, this is intriguing <laughs> to me. Um, how do they know that – are they swimming off, off, off other swimmers? For example, let's take Titmus against Ledecky. Um, she knows that Ledecky goes out fast. Um, so would she swim a body length off her and, and trust that Ledecky's pace is typical of what she's going to do every race? And, and that's risky in itself, relying on someone else's pace to swim off. What are your thoughts on those kind of questions? Yeah, I know with uh, Titmus, so she, in the 2019 World Champs, she did the exact same thing that she did at the Olympics in the 400, which was come over the top of Ledecky. She sat just off her for the first 300 and then brought it home the last hundred. So that's how she, she swims and she knows she's got better back end pace in that 400 than the decky does. And so I would imagine for her, it's, it's really about making sure she's in the position to be able to, to bring it home. So that would be kind of at, at the feet almost, you wouldn't want to lose, lose that. And one of the things that they train or that they, they teach a lot and they train a lot in, in swimming is that easy speed. And I mean, you've kind of got similar things, I guess, in, in running and riding, but easy speed, they talk about that as you're going out fast, but you can kind of sit that 5% effort below where you're really going for it. And it feels really comfortable. And then if you, if you find that sweet spot, you can bring it home the last, the last 50. So they talk a lot about that, that easy speed and going out with it. And, um, and I think there's, there's a lot of truth to, um, to that because you can go out at because sometimes you relax more when you're trying to just, you know, sit back that little bit more and it, it can often be faster, um, even though it, it feels a mm. lot easier. So it's, it's about finding easy speed, I think. 
This brings us to the topic of form goggles. Uh, now, I know you were resistant to uh, review the form goggles for a <laughs> while. I saw your video where you did review them and you gave them a big wrap and we give them a big wrap as well and we're not sponsored by them or anything yet. Hopefully, we can get something like that for our athletes. Um, but you do you do like them. And we were asking, is, are they illegal in swimming competition or could, could Olympic swimmers start using them? And would you uh, think that's a good idea for Olympic swimmers because they're so used to training or swimming to feel? Yeah, I, so in the, I can't see them using them um, in, the, in their races for a couple of reasons. One, because um, when you dive in, because they have a fit, like uh, their profile is quite far off the face. And so when I've dived in with them, it's like they almost come off. So I think for that reason, they wouldn't use them. Um, I don't know if they're illegal or not. I, I don't actually know the rules on that. Um, but in the open water as well, I, I don't think they'd use them in that 10K scenario because it's just about staying in the pack and then, and then bringing it home. So pace-wise, it's more just about um, pacing off the group. Whereas in something like a triathlon where it's much more individual, um, I think they're better, better used there. And I think like they're allowed in a triathlon, right? Yeah, Is that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and cause I remember when, um, you came to clinic, Jared, you had the form goggles and had a look through them and I thought that's, that's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, and I tried them and I was a massive fan. I'm, um, yeah, very resistant to them at the start, but, uh, they're, they're unreal. And I think for, for people who are newer to the, to swimming and they're trying to figure out their pacing and, um, get that right and develop some different gears. It is so good for that because. Uh, you just, you don't need to be on your watch and not distracted with it. You're not having to look at the stop clock. It's just right there in your face. And I think it's, it's great for developing that, that ability to pace. Uh, in the, in the open water swimming and particularly in triathlons, uh, Brenton, one of the things that I experienced myself was it gave me, uh, a relaxed feeling knowing that I could see the distance that I'd, I'd, um, I was 200 in, or I was 450 meters in out of a 1500 meter swim or 1900 meter swim. I got to 1400. I only had 500 to go. That was mm. information to me that was gold. Like, and I think a lot of, you know, triathletes would, would really like to know where they are in, in terms of distance. Um, mm. and, and obviously I had distance and pace in my view focus and I could tell that the pace I was swimming was what I wanted. And I, and all I was doing was tracking the distance for the whole event. And it, it was an absolute game changer in confidence for me um, and made me relax knowing that, you know, I felt like, you know, I knew where I was in the event almost. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never worn them open. I haven't worn them open water yet. I need to upgrade my watch to get that data. But it's, um, that's interesting to hear. It's really good because, I mean, the thing is when you're out in the open water, unless you know that one of the boys out in the water is at 800 meters or mm. whatever, that's your only marker. And when you look at perhaps the finish line or the shore, sometimes it, um, you think you're a lot closer than you really are. And, um, yeah. And so if you know that you're three quarters of the way through, you, you know, you can maybe start to pick it up a bit. So that's, um, that's interesting. I'm looking forward to trying them in the open water. Have you had athletes of yours use them and have similar experiences? Yes, most definitely. And so, uh, the, the beginner swimmers found it so much more, uh, confidence building that they, they knew exactly how far to go. That's the thing they were worried about. Well, Mm. how am I feeling and how far have I got to go to keep, keep <laughs> going? And, and it was really, it gave them a sense of calmness that they, that they certainly, you know, understood where they were in, in terms of distance. But one of the other things you mentioned as an open water racer, as compared to a triath triathlon, but they're, they're, they're similar at, at the pointy end, I suppose. Um, when you're trying to swim with an elite pack, it, it is really helpful to still know that, you know, 
I'm I'm really struggling to hold on to the pack, but I've only got 400 to go. Um, you know, that's yeah. kind of thinking, oh, I can I can hang on for another five minutes, or or you know, I'm I'm struggling. I've got 1,200 to go. Is it is like I need to drop off? I need to I need to conserve and um, you know and fight another day. They're they're sort of <laughs> examples of of how valuable feedback. Uh, you get with with knowing the distance and the pace you're swimming at and if you look at the pace yeah. you're swimming at and and you've got 1200 to go and you're swimming se- seven seconds of, you know faster than your than your pace straight away you know that you'll have a horrible swim if you keep going at that pace um yeah. so all that information coming back at you is what i think swimming's missing and mm. and i'm really i really want the swimming world to sort of embrace data a bit more and and I think you would get better outcomes, better swim times, um, with people not doing what we used to do on a bike and what we used to do as runners when we didn't have information coming back at us was was going by feel and going out too hard the whole time and and fading. Mm. Um, and and I I just think the swimming has now got this opportunity and it would be great if they actually you know embraced it and encouraged it. I think. Yeah, and I think that's um, well, it's. Yeah, that's it. It's never been done before. And thinking back, like I would have never thought it's possible to have that stuff come up in your goggle yeah, um, yeah. as you're swimming. It's like, okay, yeah, right. As if that's going to um to be possible. But like they do such a good job of it. The data is so accurate. And um, you've now got that same data that you've got on the run and the bike. And I think as as triathletes as well, this we, you know, we're so used to checking that stuff and being able to to train to it that now they can do it in the swim it's yeah it just fits right into what they're used to doing whereas looking at the 60 second clock and working out your time and then when you're meant to leave it's like it, it, that's quite new and it takes a fair bit of time to figure that out so i think you're right it's it's a really um really interesting thing to to happen and i'm looking forward to seeing what happens over the next couple of years as well as the technology improves and they you know they'll probably have some different versions of the goggles and um like mm. they'll, they'll continue to make them even better um, and i think they're awesome as they are right now Absolutely. It's a sign of amazing technology when I had a similar reaction when they came out and I saw the first advertisement for them. I kind of just looked at it and went, yeah, right. You know, I, <laughs> I can see what they're showing in the video, but I don't believe it's going to work. Or I don't believe it's it's what it looks like. And then when they actually came and they worked perfectly, it was like, wow, that <laughs> these are really yeah. good. But you made a good point before. One big disadvantage is that they have really specific watch requirements. So you need to look at what watch they're compatible with because uh, even a lot of the standard Garmin triathlon watches um, aren't exactly compatible with them um, to seeing all the data that they can actually provide. So if you're going to buy them, make sure you look at that. I want to just go back to uh, Ariana Titmus in the Olympics. And I know this has been probably done to death and uh, there's been a billion highlights of it on Channel 7, which I'm not complaining about because it is absolutely one of our greatest gold medals, you know, Titmus versus mm. Becky. Um, and I want to touch on your thoughts on her performance um, because you did a video after the Olympic trials, mm. uh, really uh, clearly saying how amazing uh, Titmus' swing form is um, and how you, you called it out to be better than Ledecky's and um, obviously that's been proven. Um, and also you did a video recently on the uh, the coach Dean Boxall's reaction, um, which everyone would have seen that crazy reaction. It went viral. It was absolutely amazing. It was just <laughs> embraced the Aussie spirit, I thought. But you, you put a bit yeah. of context to the behind the scenes of that video. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend going to Brinton's Brenton's uh, YouTube channel, Effortless Swimming on YouTube. Uh, you've put those videos up there and they are spine tingling, to be honest. You put the kind of behind yeah. the scenes interviews with Ariana Titmus. And 
her coach and um, just the, the relationship they have and the work they put in to get to that moment just yeah, really gave me goosebumps. So once you actually watched all those things unfold, how did you find those moments? Oh, similar, similar to yourself. It was, it was spine tingling. And even thinking about it now, I'm like starting to get, starting yeah. to get that same sort of, sort of feel. And it's because you just, you know how much work has gone into it. And in, in the videos, um, one of the videos we, we posted, it was from 12 months ago. I think it was maybe April last year and it was just from one of the sessions and it was um, Dean, her coach, firing her up to, to tr- bring home this last hundred of their training session in preparation for coming home fast in the 400. And, um, and like they would have done that so many times before. And so Dean, Dean Box, I don't personally know him. Uh, I've seen him on a lot of the videos and I know of him. And every coach who I've spoken to who knows him, they're like, I think he's an amazing coach, but like, they're like, he's crazy. Like he's just, he's out there and you can see it. Like he's just, he's, yeah, he's yeah. just a, a different animal. It's like a Laurie Lawrence, completely um, mm-hmm. different, but just, just amazing in terms of like firing up the athletes and getting them to buy into, um, to his program. And you'd think like, how, how fun would that be to be a part of his program with the way that he coaches and how mm-hmm. he talks to them and how he fires them up. And he, he's funny, like in one of the videos, and I don't know if I put it in the one that we made, but when he knew that the athletes weren't giving their best in a session, he's, you know, he's not saying like, you got, you're too slow, you know, get on with it. He's saying, you're being cute, Ariane, you're being cute. <laughs> and like, so he's got a, a different way to explain things. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I think it's, um, it's just um, amazing when all of that work comes together and it plays out, it's like a movie and, um, and for her to actually bring it home and to, um, to see him just like, he couldn't even look, look at, the race at times he'd like be watching and then he'd look down for like yeah. five seconds and he'd look back up. He's like, Oh yeah, we're good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just, uh, it really added a, a lot of, um, I don't know, just, just seeing him. And one of the funny things too, that I saw like on, there's like a Facebook group of swim coaches and, um, some of the American coaches, like I'd say 95% of them are like, he's awesome. He's full of passion and like, just, he's an inspiration as a, as a coach and, and she is as an athlete. There's some who are like, he made it about himself and, all of that yeah. it's like he Not didn't ask to be filmed up there yeah. like he yeah. went away from everyone else just so yeah. he could watch it and be in the moment yeah. and uh yeah so you can't please everyone yeah absolutely and that that part was in the video you put up where he says you're being cute ariane and i laughed at that oh, moment yeah. in the video because she's just swam a rep clearly almost as hard as she can you know and he says <laughs> he says stop it you're being cute she actually rolls her eyes and i thought that was a really good dynamic of the relationship that he can just say that to a mid-session and she she yeah. is okay <laughs> with it you know uh, that's great so uh, last thing on the Olympics, uh, what do you think triathletes can learn watching Olympic swimmers like Ariana Titmus and her form? Yeah, I think I was thinking about this today, actually, where like you look at a lot of the races were really closely contested. So, I mean, even in the 200, for example, uh, so Titmus got it. She just beat the swimmer from, I think it was Hong Kong, Singapore, and then, uh, Ledecky got third. So it was a really close, close race. And so it's not like Ariane's technique is the best of all the, the techniques out there, they're all valid. You know, all those that are you know, within like a second or two of each other, they're all really valid techniques. So I think just go with the technique that suits you, that suits you best. And, um, and sometimes, you know, I think Ledecky's kind of stroke is probably best for most of the, the triathletes, that sort of style. Um, because I mean, Titmus, she's a, a very even, a very balanced swimmer and she breathes every four and two and look, you're probably going to struggle to do that in a, uh, in a triathlon. So, um, yeah, I think it just like, just go with what works best, best for you and, and train for what you're, um, you're looking to do in terms of your most important race, whether it's a, an Ironman or a half Ironman, 
and um, and train train the way you want to race. Well, what are some of? Um, I know it's hard to copy a pro swimmer because they're a pro for a reason. That's why they're so good. But what are some of the key aspects of Ledecky's form that you say um, triathlete should try and copy that because that's more inducive for a triathlete? Yeah. So she's got um, and actually saw um, uh, who uh, I think it was maybe Siri Lindley put up a video. So she's um, she's got Ali Salthouse over there at the moment by the looks of it, and um, I think she was comparing Ali's stroke to Ledecky's and saying it's, it's fairly sort of similar. And, um, so with Ledecky's stroke, it's, well, she breathes every two strokes. Um, yeah, you can breathe every three, everyone's different with that, but she's got a little bit more of a sort of a a bounce in the stroke, a little bit more of that loping sort of freestyle. And it's usually, you know, somewhat better suited to open water, I think. And, um, and a little bit longer on one side, a little bit shorter on the other. So that uneven sort of stroke is absolutely fine. And we, we say that with a lot of the top pros is like one, one arm stroke over the top is a little bit, um, like a little bit more bent elbow and then one's a little bit straighter typically the breathing side is a little bit straighter over the top and um yeah there's, so there's just some that unevenness is is okay and listening to some of the commentating during the olympics uh, so they had the swimming channel which had um two different commentators in the main channel which was thorpey and, and lisa jones yeah. and um and some of the, the commentating uh like i just thought i i wouldn't I don't know if that's right. Like, so one of the things, for example, was um, one of the commentators talking about swimming and, and Alexander Popov used to talk about silent swimming and the more quiet you can be when you're swimming, the more perfect your stroke is, something along those lines. And I'm thinking, well, have you been listening to Katie Ledecky swim? Like she's got this big <laughs> yeah. slap of her elbow as she enters. And it's like, so if you're, if you listen to the Olympics and getting technique advice from that, you might be going down the wrong path with some of them, not to say it's all, all wrong, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's a few things there where I went, oh, I, I don't know about that. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the reasons we, we want to get you on is to really, uh, um, get the, the best technical advice from, we think, you know, some, one of the best, you know, technical advisors going around the world at the moment, which is yourself. And, and, and it's really important that the everyday swimmer doesn't try to emulate the perfect um, the perfect stroke technique, and that would be the mm. message that that we want to get people to really hone in on. But but you know, learning to practice your particular uh, weaknesses is going to make you a better swimmer, and and they're the things that are more important um, at the end of the day. Which leads me to the next question: is when you're doing your swim program, and obviously we t- we're talking about triathletes or open water swimmers that we coach. Um, you know, if you are there's kind of, I suppose, we categorise three types of swimmers. We've got the, the the pointy end, the elite swimmers. We've got the ones who are who are pretty adequate swimmers, um, mid packers, and then we've got the absolute beginners. And and what's the breakdown in terms of time spent with technique? Um, and we're not talking about running and bike riding here. We're talking a skill acquisition, which is what swimming is, and it has got a fitness component, and it has got an incredible technical component that can make or break you as a swimmer as using those three examples of elite mid packer and beginner, what percentage of time do you think they should be uh, advocating to the technique side of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with beginners, uh, the it's what, yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's Mm. almost like um, you could almost go kind of 50, 50 in the very beginning because you can't, we, you, it's very difficult to improve your swimming if you're not doing enough laps. First of all, if you if you're just doing 
400 meters and getting out, you're probably not going to improve that much. So you still need to be doing, doing a bit of swimming just to, um, to get the body used to it. But then yeah, in the, in the beginning, it's all about getting comfortable and just, you know, learning how to be long in the water and relax and, and move through those, those positions that we want to be in. Um, but then as you, as you get on, and I mean, what we've, I've seen with you know, a lot of your athletes and, and that sort of thing, like it's, um, it doesn't need to be a huge amount, but like, as you know, we love to use the warm up for, for the drills and the technical work to be done there because fitness is a very big component of it and, and swim strength and that sort of thing for those, those who are doing half Ironman and Ironman events. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say stick with most of that in your, in your warm up. And then at the elite end, it's probably even a little bit less, I don't know, a little bit less um, technique work. But again, it's just like a, a component of the, the warm up because you've got a better feel for the water as the more experienced you are. Um, you've typically got a better sense of when you're doing it wrong and, and right, the sort of further up the, the pyramid you go. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'd be looking at. But if you're a, a beginner, I think um, don't, don't worry about trying to just grind out too many laps straight away without learning the fundamentals of, of good technique. Even as you are a beginner, once you get into your intervals for the session or your laps or your hundreds or your two hundreds, are you better off still slowing down and keeping your stroke um, accurate compared to trying to speed up and swim faster at the risk of um, poor, uh, poor stroke quality? And I know that they kind of go hand in hand. I guess if you've got better quality, you probably will end up swimming faster anyway, but what's the aim be there once you actually get into the main set of the session? Yeah, I think it's it's good to push push to that point where you're breaking down and even go a little bit past it. And look, if you're doing a couple hundred meters where you're like, this is rubbish, you know, it's, that's okay. But you don't want to do too much of that because you're going to train the wrong the wrong things. And if you find that your your strokes breaking down too quickly, it you can break it down into smaller intervals. So that could be fifties, that could be hundreds. And I know, um, you know, like from what I've seen in like Brett Sutton's workouts, for example, in a lot of them, like he's he'll do like repeat um 50s and, and repeat hundreds so shorter intervals shorter rest um but looking to keep the stroke rate the stroke rate up fairly high but it's that short rest that kind of allows you to just reset get you know get the heart rate back down a little bit and, and go again so i think that can be a pretty good approach for those that find that they're they're struggling with the change in technique or you know they just find they're breaking down too quickly so next question on technique and drills is there are so many technical aspects to the stroke, which I guess is what keeps me in business because it's like there, for every person <laughs> there is, there is so much from the very point of entry to what your fingers are doing right through to the end of the stroke. Um, there's, it seems like there's hundreds of things you could break down in between. So when each athlete is working on certain things at a time, and I know you have principles of maybe max three things at a time, so it's not to overwhelm everyone. Um, how long do you work on those things before you pick a new Thing to work on or a new set skill or part of component or a new uh three three parts of drills to work on yeah i th- uh i'd say it's most of the time it ends up being with some of the more sort of uh basic stuff i think like that might be alignment like train tracks so when you enter it be in line with the shoulder head position i'll usually recommend they spend just a couple of weeks on that because those things can be somewhat easier things to to change whereas something like the catch that's going to take longer to develop so in terms of changing habits from what i've seen it's usually about six weeks to to eight weeks to really change that muscle memory so i think it can take that long to to do it uh but for some of the more sort of basic stuff and and simple stuff where as long as they're focused on it they can change it then we'll we'll normally stick it to to two or three weeks uh, of of practice on it 
And we do like, sometimes people do revert back to those old habits. And I do quite a bit of uh, online analysis with people overseas. And um, sometimes we see those old things come in, but if we pick it up, if we see it and, and we go, they go, okay, I can change it. They're, they're usually back on top of it. So often it's just a matter of remembering to, to do it. And then you've got a natural tendency to want to go back to the, the old way. Cause it's like a rubber band that's, that's stretched. We want to stretch it, but it, it usually just wants to come back. So we've got to just keep stretching it more and more until it uh, doesn't want to go back to its old shape. It's a bit of a dilemma too, isn't it? When you, if you're, you know, as a triathlete, you could possibly be training for, you know, a 1500 or a, or a 1900 or a 3.8 um, or a 500 meter. And there's very few of the, of the races are fifties, hundreds, you know, two hundreds um, yeah. that you're in. So, um, you know, I really understand uh, doing shorter training uh, sessions with, you know, fifties and hundreds and 25. So, so that you can hold form uh, better but you've still got to do some of that endurance um, and that's where the fitness component comes in and then you, you find that as you get tired, your stroke starts to go back to its old ways. Um, so you still, I think you would agree, need some sort of endurance type work that combines with the short, sharp stuff uh, in your program. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's really important. And I had um, a pro triathlete on Sam Laidlow. He's based, I think UK guy based in France. He, um, he's front pack of the swim, um, with all of his races by the sounds of it. And he, he was just talking about every session. He only trains three times a week in the pool, but he was talking about every session. He wants his arms to fall off. Like he just wants to like blow up to the point where he knows he's had it. He's had a good workout. And so that I, yeah, I think that's, that can be pretty important is to do those longer swims where you feel like you just, your arms are, are shot. And he was saying every week, I think he's doing a 3.8 K like for time. <laughs> so he's basically wow. doing Ironman swim every week. Um, I don't know if he's still doing that, but I, I think he was talking about maybe last year for like months, he would do that every single week. And so by the time he got to a race, he's like, this, you know, I can yeah. do this. It's, it's easy. And so, yeah, absolutely. Those longer distances are, are so important to do. And if you find that your, your shoulders, your lats are just uh, cooked after it, it's uh it's a good thing. Cause then you'll, you break it down, you'll build it back up and you'll come back stronger and better the next week. I was just going to say, we do find in, in runners who do lots of endurance running and strength work that they come and, and smash their 5K, 10K PBs and, and guys who are on the bike who do lots of good four, five, six-hour endurance rides can really ride a good, you know, 20-minute um, power test. And, and I can imagine, you know, as long as you fit in the water, the results will be the same um, yeah. as a swimmer, as long as your techniques um you know, sound, um, getting that endurance into your body. So you've got the fitness to hold your form right from the start to the finish is what, you know, example you gave of the pro triathlete is another example of exactly what that happening. Well, they say that, yeah, it's interesting. They say that, uh, like for, a, if you want to train for a 400 freestyle, you should train for an 800 freestyle. And if you want to train for a 200 freestyle, you should train for a 400. So it's, it's that of just like upping the, upping the, the distance and, and what to expect. And one of the interesting things that kind of happened at the Olympics. So there's a, an American guy, I think he's about 21. His name's Michael Andrew. And he's, he only trains using this method called USRPT, which is ultra short race pace training. And it was developed by a guy, Brent Russell, who wrote this big paper on it. And it's very explicit about how you should, should train. So he's followed this method since he was, I don't know, maybe 14, 13, 14. And so it's basically it's 25s and fifties at most. So there's essentially, there's no aerobic or endurance training. 
It's just all short and sharp, sharp training. Now he he's an amazing swimmer. He made I think it was five finals. Um, was fourth in his individual in some of his individual events, but he was on the the four by one medley team and they broke the world record there. Now he's an amazing swimmer, but in the two hundred medley, he was about uh, half a body length, almost a body length maybe ahead at the one hundred and fifty meter mark after the breaststroke, and then he got swamped at the end, uh, and he went a thirty. 30 second 50 freestyle for the last 50. Now that mm. is slow for the last 50 for mm. turned to medley at the mm. Olympic finals. Um, and I mean, and the, the sort of debate there is, you know, is, is, does this training work or not? Well, it works because he's, he's still an amazing swimmer, but it seems as though for that 200 distance, he, he maybe just doesn't have that endurance capacity to bring it home well, because he just died so bad. So it's, um, it just goes to what you're, what you're talking about. Completely the opposite of the back end swimming we saw from all the winners this year, isn't it? It's um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's complete opposite kind of theory, and yeah, that's maybe why he didn't get a medal. Uh, we were talking to you off air about it, how it's tough to kind of be a swim coach in lockdown when the pools are closed. Uh, there's a lot <laughs> of people in lockdown around Australia at the moment. Uh, how do you? What do you? What are your recommendations for people when the pools are closed? What do you get them to do, especially um, swimmers that are trying to swim three three or more times a week? Yeah, it's. Um... It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? So without access to a pool, I think the best thing you could probably do is just get some swim cords, uh, which, uh, you know, you attach it to like a pole or you know, something at your house and you can, um, you can use the swim cords there just for that upper body strength. Cause there's not much else that can really match that. I don't think we were talking about this earlier, like surfing's great as cross training. Um, but that's probably not an option for, for most people. So the swim cords are, are really good. And outside of that, I think that the main strength you want to maintain is core and glute and, and hip strength is power through that midsection because swimming is should be from the inside out meaning the, the core and the hips and then you can deliver that power to the extremities so if you're strong through there you'll probably find you come back a whole lot quicker to your, your times than you would if you weren't strong through there um or if you don't have the, the stretch cords i think pull-ups and chin-ups or even just hanging off a bar just you, that kind of strength can be can be very beneficial so uh, yeah, there's a few things you can do there. Obviously nothing matches the, the pool, but that's probably the, the best that I think most people have, uh, have got. And I mean, we saw it because obviously we were in lockdown a lot last year for almost three months yeah. and it took about, from what, from what I saw, it took about six weeks for most people to get back to where they were, which is actually not too bad. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, I was, the longest I was out of the water was, was two weeks and that was in our off season break and then we'd come back and we felt like we'd forgotten how to swim but <laughs> yeah. i think as an adult you you tend to um be able to i don't know you just kind of tend to be able to get back there a little bit quicker because you're not swimming eight times a week you might have been swimming three or four so it's not it's not too bad now would you recommend the swim cords as something to do even while you can train in the pool or is that kind of a last resort no i think it's it's good for building strength there's there's a guy in the states who um, I've been working a bit with, and before he started with me, he got on the, on the swim cords and he was working on his catch with them. Cause you can really work on your catch outside the pool well with them. <laughs> and, um, and this guy's, he went from like over two minute pace and he's, he's down to like one twenty something per hundred yards, um, pace. And I think like a massive, a massive part of that was the swim cords <laughs> was developing his catch with that and his, his swim strength. Cause he's, he'd only been doing swing for about 18 months from, from now. And, um, yeah, and no, I think they're, they're great to do and it doesn't take long five, 10 minutes before training a couple of times a week, you can set yourself up well, I think. Yeah. And the obvious thing, which we haven't mentioned is if you live in a, a state, uh, that's got a temperature in the open water or, or a lake that's, uh, 
that's warm enough for you to go into. Uh, that's the obvious uh, outside of the pool swim if you're in. But, you know, for some some places, lockdown is a 5K radius or 10K radius, so you, you might not have access to a lake that's close to you or or an ocean. Um, but, yeah, they're certainly uh, the obvious things. Put your wetsuit on and, and jump in the ocean, but uh, a little bit nippy when it's... Um, you know, 12 degrees in the ocean, but, uh, you know, they're, they're yeah. the obvious choices, aren't they? they are, yeah. As a Victorian, we don't often tend to think, yeah. we don't <laughs> even think of them or whatever until about uh, November. <laughs> yeah, that's right. On. Some, some rapid fire questions sort of to finish off the conversation, just some quick things because, um, a theme I hear a lot from you and you've said it even in today's podcast is, you know, do what suits you. And there's no one exact right way. And even at the top level, you see the example we gave before the top three swimmers all have slightly different styles. And so it's finding what works for you. But, um, I want to know, do you have any recommendations on these kind of certain topics I'm about to say as to what people should do? So for example, uh, kick beat, um, do you have a recommendation for triathletes from sprint distance right up to, um, Ironman on, uh, should it be two, two kick beat or four, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't think six ever. But um, do you have a recommendation? Yeah, I, I think for a lot, of, a lot of people, a four beat kick can be faster than a two beat for a lot of people. But it just takes a bit of practice to be able to get that. I think most people with a wetsuit on naturally gravitate to two beat, um, and yeah. But, but I think a four beat can can usually help. Um, yeah, can help people go a bit. A bit quicker and it's um for those listening it's like one kick on one stroke and then three on the other so it's a bit unusual um but i've found with a lot of the guys i've worked with that that's worked very well for them and then breathing another one uh you know probably every four is too much but every second or third recommendation yeah every every second or third is, is usually best for most people i find that particularly the females who often have a faster cadence Sometimes they prefer a three because they've, they've got a faster cadence. And if they breathe every two, they feel like they're breathing too much. They're hyperventilating. Um, so just, yeah, find what you can sustain. But the most important thing is you get enough air in. And then on that note, uh, something I personally do is uh, I'll breathe on every two most of the time and I'll breathe on one side and I'll change it up frequently. So I'll do all on the left and all the right. But I notice a lot of the pro swimmers seem to stick to the same side and that's, that's their style. Do you, uh, do you have a recommendation on it? Is either one of those better, especially as a, more of an age group or an amateur triathlete? Yeah, I think it's good to, to breathe the other side. In the racing, a, a lot of them will usually, uh, if they're breathing every two, they'll just breathe to the one side only. But if you, if you were to watch them in training, they'd swap sides, uh, pretty, pretty regularly. And, uh, in the 10 K for example, they're, you know, they're all definitely breathing to, to both sides because uh, it's just, it's a lot of load on one arm and often your neck will get a bit sore too. So I think it's great to, to mix it up. I'm similar. I'll do 40% of my session to one side and about 60% to the other. How often are you changing it up yourself? Uh, it just depends on what I'm, what I'm doing. So. Uh, if I've got a, a set where we're sort of working hard, I'll try and either do like, um, if in a 50 meter pool, like breathe left halfway down and then breathe right for the next. Or if I'm, yeah, sometimes breathe every three, I'll just, I'll, I'll mix it up a bit depending on what I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And last kind of unique one, uh, would you recommend triathletes ever change up the stroke they do in training? So incorporate any other, um, yeah, stroke, uh, to mix up in the training or is it, just going to be a bit of a waste of time for the sake of variation and just just stick to freestyle yeah i think it's 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 a hard one isn't it i mean i i think backstroke's good to do just to give the arms a bit of a rest and, and move them in the other direction so i think backstroke's great for some recovery flight can be good for developing a bit of strength as well so i find that can be useful and 
if you are mixing up with the other strokes, sometimes you, you will find that you do develop a bit better feel for the water because you're, you're doing these different strokes. But I wouldn't say it's a requirement to swim fast as a triathlete. Uh, so it's each, each drone. If you like doing the other strokes, then, then go for it. But if you want to do butterflies, start with fins. Cause it's a, it's a hard <laughs> one to do without if you're new to it. Perfect. And one of the last ones I wanted to ask is what is, what is the most common questions you've been asked, uh, recently, um, that you're getting from most people, uh, online or, um, in your membership or even at your clinics. You've, you probably asked most of them actually, um, <laughs> like breathing's a huge one. Yeah. A lot of people always ask about like fingers together or apart. Um, so that's a really common one. And the answer there is you don't want a really stiff and tight hand. A bit of a gap between the fingers is fine and just keep the hand somewhat relaxed. And you will have probably seen that if you saw any slow-mo footage of the, the Olympians, it's, um, like a lot of the times the fingers are somewhat apart because they're very relaxed and, uh, yeah, the amount of force that they're applying on the water, it's hard to keep the fingers completely closed. So that's probably the most, most common one that I get. The other one that I wanted to ask was the, the equipment in training. Um, and you know, being at your clinic, uh, you, you had the, uh, the snorkel and mask and flippers and hand paddles, um, pool boys. Um, yeah. Tell us about that and how you see that fitting into a training session. Yeah. I, we use fins a, a lot in warm up. So when I'm normally training, it's, it's in the morning, it's cold and I haven't had a chance to warm up basically or, or move. So when, whenever I'm training and I'm setting the sessions, we'll do about 600 meters of, of fins just to ease the shoulders into it. So I really like that for early mornings. I also like it for, for drills because a lot of the drills that we do are kick based and that way it, you don't need to worry if you can't kick, if you go backwards, when you normally kick fins will just give you that little bit of propulsion. Snorkel is really good for taking the breathing out of it. So one of the, probably the most common thing that causes faults in the stroke is the breathing because people look too far, they'll look behind them. And it will mean that their catch or their rotation is, is off a little bit. So I think a snorkel can be great for just allowing you to focus on what's happening in the water. And then in terms of the other gear, pool boy, paddles, um, ankle strap, ankle band, I think that stuff can be great for, for building strength and practicing swimming almost like you've got a wetsuit on. So that stuff is, uh, is, is great for, for triathletes. And, um, with that, I, I think, um, I've seen a couple of pool boys that have got really, uh, really wide middle sections. And there's a, a type of pool boy called the Eni boy or any buoy um, that's got a really narrow one. And there's some other ones out there as well. But I think it, it's important to have a, a reasonably narrow midsection for the pool boy because if it's super wide, and I've seen some of the, is it hoob or hub? Hoob? Mm. Um, they, um, that's, it's like really wide there. And so the leg, your legs kind of stay out here and it doesn't allow you to switch your core, like use your core squeeze your glutes together a little bit, doesn't allow you to do it because it's so wide. So if you've got something super wide, try something narrower and just see how you, you feel with it. So um, I've seen that a little bit recently. So I just wanted to, to bring it up and uh, yeah, let people know that um, it might be a bit easier with the narrower one. Perfect. Well, that's a great way to finish. As always, we appreciate you coming on and giving us uh, tips. You're probably uh, one of the most requested people to come on, I'd say, because everyone really wants to get better at swimming. And it seems to be a lot of triathletes Achilles heel. Uh, one last question, which doesn't have to be swimming related. We do like to ask our guests, uh, just in terms of your own uh, personal wisdom, is what's, what's a life lesson that you've learned in the last 12 months? It can be swimming related. It doesn't have to be uh, that you'd like to pass on to others. Mm, oh, good one. Uh, I'd say that often when yeah often often when things are the the hardest or the most frustrating uh 
just around the corner is uh, something a lot is is something a lot better than um, what you might have expected before. And I'm thinking back to basically like you know lockdown last year and all of that. Like I found it pretty tough um, from a coaching business perspective personally. Like it was it was challenging. Um, but out of that, like we we ended up moving to the coast and um, and then you know business took off once things opened up and everything. So yeah, but it's really hard at the time. So I'm just trying to ride with that whenever I encounter those those more challenging times and just push through it. And uh, I think out the other side can can come some pretty good things. That's unreal. That's a great way to finish off. Is there anything else from you, Dad? No, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, for every negative thing that happens to you, there is a positive. You've just got to find it. And sometimes it's like there's no positives here, but there is. <laughs> and, and you know, you, you, you've just got to, you know, search for it and be patient. And uh, you couldn't have said any truer words, I think. And, yeah, it's a great way to finish. And for people to think and, and remember that, you know, if you keep putting the consistent work in, things will turn around. And um, before you know it, you're on the right track and uh, heading in the right direction and things are looking so much better than they were a minute ago. But but you've got to put the work in. And one of the things that um, the Titmus's coach said, uh, you know, it's okay to, to, to want to have goals, but, and, and, you know, you've got to actually do the, the sessions rather than talk about them. Uh, I thought that was a brilliant thing that he said, you know, don't talk about how, how you want to be good, you know, practice how you want to be good and uh and i think that's important as well and so much more in swimming because it is one of the most more difficult uh sports to really train for you know you, you, you've got a lot of time with your head in the water and there's no conversation going on and uh you know it, it is a tough sport and there are a lot of kilometers to be swum with not much communication and uh and i really take my hat off to swimmers uh, it is you know it is one of the hardest things to train for so i really appreciate you being back on uh, on our podcast and uh, I know the listeners uh, certainly really uh, can't wait to hear your gold nuggets that you throw out which is fantastic and for all, for all those who uh, who know you already and have been to your clinics they're well worth going to and um, you know you will improve by just concentrating on really important technical changes that you can make into your stroke and and I'm, I've proven that after not swimming for 20 years and going to Brenton's clinic and already I, I improved without getting any fitter I improved you know, five, six seconds per per hundred metres um, just by doing some stroke technique uh, changes. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. I appreciate the work that you guys do and I love working with, um, with the athletes that come to the, um, to the clinic. So, yeah, thank you for, uh, for everything that you guys do. I really appreciate it. No worries, Brenton. Again, thanks for coming on. If you want to find him, you can find him on any social media channel, Effortless Swimming. We highly recommend your YouTube channel, Effortless Swimming, on there as well. We've got a ton of great videos and uh, you can sign up to Brenton's free five-day catch challenge. It's a really good one uh, to help wipe off some time off your uh, pace per 100 straight away. And obviously, we send a lot of our athletes uh, to get analyzed by you online, which is an option, or attend some of your clinics, which depending on the state are available right now. I'm sure you're hanging out for the lockdowns to end, Brenton, for the other states to become available as well. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. That's great. Thanks, Brendan. We'll uh, chat to you soon. Ooh.